Hello everyone, this is Dan with the Spiritual Underground Podcast coming to you once again from the studios at the Woodshop of DTM Enterprises. Uh, speaking of, we'll get some of this out of the way. If you have uh, woodworking needs in, in your closet that you need done, uh, you want something custom made, you want your son's name made out of wood, you want a piece of furniture, you see something on Pinterest that you uh, would like to have but don't know how to find it, or it's not exactly what you need. You need it just like this, but a little bit different. Uh, holler at me. You can find me at dtmww.net. That's my website for the woodworking shop uh, or any of the other avenues that uh, I'm going to talk about for a minute. Uh, the music around the podcast is uh, by a gentleman named Darren Frank. I've talked about him. He's been uh, in the hospital dealing with some health issues. Your continued prayers are appreciated. Uh, he is on the men, so that is great, too. Uh, spiritualunderground.org is where you can find show notes that's the uh, website that supports this podcast you can see pictures of the guests you can also find a contact me page there let me know give me feedback on the podcast what you think uh what you don't like what you like if you need some help holler out maybe we can help you uh and finally 12-step spiritual recovery is a book by james christopher cone it is can be found on amazon uh, it's the full version is in both a Kindle and a hard copy book. And then there's also been broken into where uh, there's a volume one and two of it in a hard copy form that uh, that where the part uh, volume one is is um, how the spiritual sickness manifests in you and steps one, two and three. And volume two is step four, the inventory through uh, 12. So once again, James Christopher Cohn. Uh, 12-step spiritual recovery so we'll get to the real business at hand here I have a guest today you know i just keep on being just totally excited about the people that come in here and i've been excited to get alex in here uh i haven't heard his story but i've heard uh people who have heard it so that's also a cool thing is to sit here and uh and get to absorb it like one-on-one it's a little selfish kind of thing i get the story i'm the i, I get I, all the attention is devoted to telling me this story and that is cool uh so alex um about the time I came into the spiritual underground, Alex started coming. Uh, it was funny because I started talking to him a little bit and he would, he had told me that he had been sober for some time. Uh, but just, and I'm going to let him tell it. I'm going to tell it from my perspective as I remember just quickly is that he had been sober for some time, but had still found something missing in his life. There was something that he was still searching for. And I believe a friend of his had pointed him towards, uh, the spiritual underground specifically maybe aa uh but to see if uh maybe he couldn't get what he was looking for there and then the rest of the story you will hear here shortly so i remember meeting you and uh and it didn't i was like well if you're already sober why are you doing here so we'll start out with the sobriety date how you doing today alex i'm doing good and first off i'd just like to thank you for this opportunity and uh just to get to see, see you what uh i you know we've known each other for a long time and i see all the kind of miracles that occur with you and all the juice that you got um and then to sit here and watch you do your thing and just on the start of this is uh, a lot of fun for me it's uh it's it, you get to see where that juice, uh, you know, that juice, yeah. uh, fulminates right now. So it's, it's cool to, uh, to, to watch. Um, my sobriety date is, uh, I believe it was around June 20th or 21st, uh, of, uh, 2011. So I'm about, I just passed eight years now. Yeah. 
Yeah. That is very cool. That uh, And so because you really didn't hit a wall like a lot of us do in the way of uh, like our sobriety dates, like mine is pretty solid, like bam. Yeah. Uh, you kind of, so you actually, I think you celebrate the 20th. Is that, I think if I'm I not I think so, and I could probably. It doesn't really matter a lot by the day, but it's like we pick one and go with it, right? I know it was the third Wednesday uh third wednesday of june in 2011 because that was the day that i went to the the temple and i meditated with the monk and i talked to him about what was going on in my life and he just said you know you're going to either quit drinking or quit meditating so that was uh and that was so i know what when it occurred but i don't i couldn't tell you when my last drink, I, could, I probably drank, you know, maybe the night before, maybe a couple of days before, but I yeah. couldn't tell you 100%. So that's like your shift. That was my, like, that was uh, the day that it was like, this is it. Yeah, well, there's a there's a term we use when we say that, that, uh, and during, it's left me, but we'll, we'll, maybe it'll come up. So one of the things that I always, you know, we do this AA thing, and uh, and I'm not, we try not to say AA, we try not to say last names on here, but uh, um bucket i don't really care uh, <laughs> um, of what it was like what happened and what it's like now you know so one mm-hmm. of the things i like to do will, to make sure because uh i know that i've had this thing i've been carrying this whatever this malady is from the time i as long as i can remember from childhood and i know that there were some things that happened to me uh while i was a child that 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 exasperated that that condition Mm-hmm. So I like to go back and talk about how we were brought up, uh, what kind of family system you had, and move forward from there. Okay. As organically, I don't want to like dwell way back there, but uh, there's always something to be learned. I think to, to that common uh, denominator in all of us that that like feeling out of place as a kid, having certain things happen. So what? Ha- what how'd you grow up, Alex? So uh, I grew up in a family of uh, uh, we had four. There were four kids in my family. Uh, I grew up a Catholic, uh, went to went to Catholic schools, uh, raised very much in a in a um, Catholic community. Uh, you know, you went to church there, you went to school there. All your social events, all your athletic events, were were around this uh, this Catholic community. My family um, and both my. Um, my immediate family and my all of my extended family on my mother's side went to this particular church, went to this particular parish, went to this particular school. Um, and so it was very much everything was encapsulated into one thing. And so, um, you know, you, your identity, once that's set in that one, uh, just both in my family system uh, and in my immediate family, my extended family and my uh, church and my sports and everything kind of gets wrapped into one, one thing and you get, you become that person. And um, for me, you know, my, my family was, I had two loving parents. Uh, You know, I had my, my sisters, I had extended family. We all kind of, you know, that's who babysitted us. That's, we didn't ever kind of venture out of that system. And so all of that was the norm. Um, So for me, you know, I came up and at a very, you know, I had a lot of, I was, you know, uh, hyperactive. I had a lot of energy. I had a lot of uh, movement. So, you know, I, I quickly somehow became in this system um, I kind of became the, the, the bad kid, you mm. know, I was the kid that got in trouble. I was the kid that, uh, you know, broke the glass in the street. I was the kid that, you know, uh, 
shoved the cupcake in somebody's face. I was, uh, you know, the kid picking on people and fighting and, uh, and it, it, it happened where I was the bad kid in my family. I was the one that kind of got, uh, identified as the, maybe like in dysfunctional systems, you would call it the scapegoat. Um, you know, there was a lot of anxiety in my family. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of fighting, a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming. Mm. Um, it was, uh, like I said, a good Catholic family. So there was uh, mild uh, physical abuse and uh, <laughs> moderate emotional and verbal abuse. Um, and that was, uh, that became very much a part of my story and who I was. Um, and looking back on it, I was acting out of a lot of the anxiety of everything that was going on in my, in my house. Um, I couldn't handle that. I can remember being very little and getting up at five in the morning and hearing the fighting start right from the beginning of the morning and walking to school hours before it started. And they would, ha- they would come get me. Um, I remember it being dark. I remember I be- being by myself, but I just had to get out of that si- situation. Um, and you know, as it progressed, I became more and more that person. I became more and more, uh, that bad kid, um, both uh, at my house and then an extended family and then at school. Um, and then once I was identified that, and that's your whole world, that's everything, you know, um, you know, you're the bad kid when you come home, you're the bad kid when you go to a family event, you're a bad kid when you go to school. Um, so at some point very early, I made the decision, you know, fuck it. If I'm the bad kid, I'm the bad kid. I will kid. be that. I'll be that bad kid. And, um, you know, I'll be the meanest, toughest kid there was. Uh, that's, that kind of developed, um, my one respite was sports because all that physicality and um, emotion and anxiety uh, was was accepted. Um, you know, so my violence wasn't wasn't punished. It was rewarded. Right, yeah. So I was, uh, you know, you'd look down on me and judge me as I walked out of school, um, or, you know, I showed up at the house, uh, or wherever it was. Um, but when I was on the field, you know, you judge me for shoving a cupcake in your kid's face or starting a fight or coming home with, uh, my head busted cause I had fought kids in the, in the, in the park. Um, but if I was on the field, if I was wrestling, um, you're going to clap. You're going to cheer. You're going right. to tell me how good I was. Yeah, you get, like you said, you get rewarded for the same behavior in a sense, uh, in an acceptable outlet. Right. Right. Um, so that, that became, there was a dual dot, uh, you know, it's a little identity. confusing, you know, that yeah, I can, I'm, it's landing on me that like, okay, where'd I draw the line about how do I be aggressive here and not there? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm allowed and actually encouraged to be really aggressive on a wrestling mat or on a football field. Right. And when I come off of there, I'm supposed to just turn it off. Right. And I, there was no off for me. Um, so for me, 
it was always on. Um, and I could, I could pull it back a little bit. Um, but I, I, it was looking back on it. It was just a manifestation of anxiety. It was just, uh, it didn't matter whether it was on the field or where I was at. It was just, I was anxious. I didn't know how to behave in the situation. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to live with rules of society. Mm. I, I couldn't ever put it together and put my homework together or do the dishes right. Or, you know, I couldn't ever get right. Yeah. Everywhere I went, I was wrong. Yeah. Um, Another bell ringer thing. My, my <laughs> kids have a thing at school. They call it bell ringer. And it's some kind of, it doesn't even mean anything what it means here. But what happens here is I hear these same, uh, these similar traits and these things, like you said, that just is so, so uh, in line with what I hear and what I felt was that this fear of being wrong too. I didn't like it being wrong, mm-hmm. and it seemed like everywhere I went, I was fucking wrong. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it just started got giving up. So then you go, okay, if I'm gonna be wrong, I'll be really wrong. Right. Yeah. Here, I will show you what wrong is. Right. Right. And that's I, I'm I'm absolutely you know I just I could never get the rules. I could never get what you wanted and i think in my household also was highly critical and you know uh running around with a bunch of catholics tend to be high i don't that's not i won't won't classify it as that but from my perspective as a kid things were highly critical like the nun that i was my principal was highly critical you know like i couldn't ever get it right and um you know i'm sure like I said, I couldn't, it was, it's that learned helplessness. Like I'm, I can't, I can't be right. No matter what I do, I can't get it right. So let's, I'll just do what I want to do anyway. Right. So yeah. at least I'll have some fun while I'm doing it. Um, so that was, uh, that was a big part of my, of my story. And I'm sure there's more, um, as far as, you know, you could analyze it and break it down and all these other right. things, but that was one of the things for me was uh, was that was not understanding the rules. And even today, I have a hard time being organized, having the and doing things the way that a large system wants you to do them. I just, I it doesn't make sense to my brain. Like I can't keep focused on on that situation yeah, for that's... a long long period of time. Um, so, you know, I, I started off like that. I started off with this anxiety, uh, from a family system that was, uh, was dysfunctional. Um, that was very intense. That was, uh, fairly critical. Um, so I started off with that anxiety. I kind of developed this identity that wasn't, didn't ever get to be mitigated by a different system. All, all of my systems were wrapped into to one function and it was all within a, like a little three mile square is my whole world was that um and so you know I, I continued on i picked up that that moniker of being the bad kid and i just went ahead and, and took it and um you know i used sports as an outlet but everything else was just like fuck it i don't care i'm not going to pay attention to it i'm not going to pay attention to what you say i'm just going to do what i want I was a fairly intelligent kid, but my schoolwork, because I because I was wrong all the time as far as my behavior, I just said, fuck that too, you know, and I pushed it over to the side. Um, I continued, I'd say, you know, once I got through grade school, I went to a Catholic high school. 
uh, sports were very, very dominant, and that was something that was really important to me because that it, that was the only identity that I got to be good at, and that was the only uh, re- kind of rewarded system that I felt that was the only thing that validated who I was. You know, I was bad in all these other situations over here, but by sports, uh, you know, I had some sense of accomplishment and some sense of value. Um, so that became really important to me. When and I went, you were, I'm going to too, you were probably good at it. I was or, good at know, it. I was, I was. So you could feel that internal right. fulfillment of being good at something, you know, or, right. I, you know, these other things I wasn't, you know, I was wrong. But right. here, I was actually excelling. I was doing well. I was right. could be patted on the back, you know, so that those the reward systems kick into place. Right. And go, hey, man, yeah, I, I really like this being good at something. Right. And that, that absolutely was my, uh, how I, I viewed it when I went to high school though I was a I was a good athlete uh, I was a, a I was a decent athlete let's put it that way um, and but when I got to high school you know my I thought I was going to be a football star well you know what uh, you're not going to be a football star if you run a five flat 40 I just wasn't super fast or explosive yeah the competition increased and increased and the guys that I were competing against were six foot three and running four five forties <laughs> like I wasn't a starter that that brought a lot to me that being my only sense of identity brought a tremendous amount of shame because I wasn't a starter I wasn't a standout I wasn't this I trans uh trans and that that really would be when I had that first kind of break that was uh of my identity that was when I started drinking um uh, I started drinking when, you know, like a lot of kids do, uh, snuck down to a friend's basement. They had a bar full of liquor. Uh, we started emptying out the peach brandy into our into our cups and uh, getting getting drunk. Um, How old would you say you were? I was 14. Me too. So and we were 14. We started dipping and uh, mm-hmm. using tobacco and smoking and uh, smoking a little bit of uh, weed and started drinking um and it really like as i bring up and talk about it now that really kind of coincided right with my uh, you know my not being great uh at, at the at my desired uh sport <clears throat> and you know like i luckily even though i wasn't great at football I found wrestling uh, and you know where flat out speed didn't matter as much but uh determination uh, just hard work, uh, the willingness to kind of uh, deal with pain, um, mental toughness, like just not just an unwillingness to stop. Uh, that really served me well. Uh, and I'm very lucky in that manner because uh, as I developed that, uh, that kind of kept me from really overuse in, uh, of alcohol and drugs. It kept it tempered. Uh, so, so there was an on-season on and an off-season, right? There was a season in which I could uh, I could drink and party, and there was a season in which I didn't, and I had to – there was a reason why to get up and train and a reason why I couldn't drink that night and a reason why I had to hold off for uh, periods of time. Um, so, you know, I continued to use through high school, Um but it, like I said, it was tempered. It was, you yeah. know, off season. I would go out and drink and 
you know, after wrestling season, though, it was it was time to party. It was, uh, and, uh, you know, I would drink a couple of times a week, go out with friends on the weekends and drink and smoke. And that was, I was pretty limited in that. I wouldn't ever, I was afraid of everything else going through high school. Um, and go ahead. That's really parallel. I hear a lot of parallels, you know, from I found, uh, I found an escape in sports also. Uh, and I ended up, uh, you know, doing similar to you. I would have tam- t- temper it when, when the season was on and other things were going on. Uh, I'd already started smoking, so I'm trying to play basketball and doing like a cardio sport, you know. But at that time, I still, you know, everything was young, so it didn't really, didn't hit me. You know, I could, I saw it, I was telling myself, you know, this don't affect me, right? This doesn't, mm-hmm. I can do both. Uh, and then I ended up getting kicked off the basketball team for smoking pot. And when I lost that, when that was taken away from me, I remember that gave me the big case of the fuckets, you know, and I had no reason to temper anything anymore. Uh, boom, off and running on uh, on the dope and alcohol uh, because of what they did to me. <laughs> I ended up getting kicked off the basketball team for smoking pot, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> so it's interesting, you know, that's what you... The, so I get in trouble for the very same thing that I reach for afterwards in a similar way which you were saying, like, I'm going to be the bad boy. And then you kind of probably caught some consequences over being a bad boy. Oh, yeah. And all it did was made you the worst bad boy. Right. <laughs> made you do it even more. It's interesting how we, like, buck those rules. Like you said, Don't I don't want to comply with the system. Right. And from, you know, on that aspect, like, I did suffer consequences. And I did want to, uh, you know, buck it more. Um, I, transitioning from the... the the grade school to the high school uh, allowed it to be opened up a little bit. So I wasn't quite uh, the bad boy then. Um, again, the bad boy in uh, in the Catholic school that I was in was it, it was still so mild compared to what you might see or think yeah. today or in a public school. Another another instance of that is like so I got caught drinking in uh, my sophomore year, and the way I got caught drinking. Was I got so drunk that I got into a fight with a kid from a rival school, and he was like the toughest kid in his Catholic school, and I was kind of like the toughest kid in our in my grade of the, uh, the uh, school. But we were a little bit buddies, but we were kind of weren't. We were a little bit rivals, and uh, I got drunk, and he was bigger and stronger and faster than me, and we got into a fight, and he uh, decided to ping my head off of a. Uh, <laughs> Like a cattle, a cattle railing, like that was out of the fairgrounds. We got into a fight. He kind of beat the heck out of me. We rode home in the same car together. We yeah. went out drinking together after, after, at different points after that. Uh, I know him now. We're we're friends, but uh, I got caught that way, and so it, everybody talked about it, right? And my high school wrestling coach, instead of kicking me off for that situation, um. And it might have been different if it was marijuana or something else, but it it, um, it was drinking, and that's maybe a little bit more accepted, especially in the Catholic in Catholic yep. um, and system. And uh, he told me, he said, one, you have to tell your mom, and two, you have to go to these alcohol classes inside of your school, hmm. uh, in our school. So instead of me getting kicked off and having the case of the buckets after that, um I I had to go through these things. It didn't stop my use, uh, but it definitely um, – it was a reaching out moment from from somebody. Um, 
and you know looking back on it and hearing your story uh, that was a that was a kind of a big thing for that person to reach out because that let me maintain my sport he was yeah. like if you don't do this he was and he told me at the time when he did it he said look you could be wrestling for the state championship if you just work it was like but if you take this other path then then you're not going to have that yeah. opportunity yeah what a cool thing to have somebody in your life like that come in that's an angel you know to, right. to come in rather than uh i didn't get offered any of that right I just got sent to the pen you know just you're done and they told you come you can come back try again next year if you want now you know i went from being a relatively star a relative star i was playing so I was always playing or sitting on the bench of the grades ahead of me. So I was getting to be at least play a little bit of varsity as a JV. When we were in junior high school, I was able to go up and play for the JV in high school or at least sit on the bench with the JV team. Uh-huh. So it was obviously was playing above my level. Wow. And then all of a sudden, whenever they told me to come back, I couldn't make the team. Now, I know that's a dual fold. I know that some of that comes back on me. Right. Uh, but also interesting that they, you know, that I, that I wasn't able to make the team the next year after being so good. Uh, I didn't have somebody hand, stick their hand out and say, here, or at least I don't recall it. Right. And that was one of the, um, you know, biggest, <laughs> there were lots of things that I can say I didn't like about my Catholic schools and how I got raised and uh, how I got disciplined in some of those situations um, because it was, it kind of did develop, help develop that identity of, of being you know, not just the bad kid, but angry uh, at the systems and not trusting the systems. Um, but to have that, I do distinctly remember that that situation and, and know that 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 was a life altering situation at this time. I hated it at the time. I hated that I had to go tell my mom that I'd been drinking. Yeah. Cause my mom was raised in an alcoholic family and she always told me from from when I was young she kind of uh, either identified some traits in me or uh, it was just stuff from her dad that she was pushing down towards me. But it it was, it was very much, I understood that we had alcoholics in our family and I was, I was likely to become one or Mm. there was, it was, I needed to watch for it. Very good, man. Uh, That's something I, uh, I think needs to happen. And I don't hear that a lot. I hear a lot of the opposite, you know, where families actually like alcoholic families encourage their, well, actually, provide and encourage an alcoholic lifestyle, right? Rather than warn and say, "Hey, be careful," but this is back there, right? And I, you know, you again, you look at it, and I can remember being mad, mad that my mom pushed this at me and pushed this identity towards me, and I was like, "What the hell are you talking about?" I'm like, I, I drank like five times, like you know, I'm an alcoholic. Hold on, yeah, but totally reject the premise. <laughs> Right. And being mad about it. But then if you as you hear it like that, you're like, oh, yeah, no, this. Yeah, this it's it is ignored in other families and and the behavior is ignored in other families. And that certainly wasn't the case of mine. Uh, There was severe discipline. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you get grounded for a month if you got caught or anything happened or like it, it was it was grounded for a month and things were taken away and. Like it just you were stuck. Like you got to go to sports practices in school, and that was it. Like everything else was off the table. Yeah. So what was the class like at school? Do you recall it? Um. Yeah, and it was actually a class not for alcoholics. It was a class for uh, people that had uh, uh, alcoholic families. Whether it was a direct alcoholic, uh, like a uh, or 
So it was almost like a little, like, it was like, like an five or, or six kids. Some of them had got caught drinking. Some of them did drink. And some of them were, uh, were uh, families. Well, I had one kid in there that I love to this day. He's a good dude. Um, but he, he had never drank. He never took a drink in his entire life. But he was in there. And uh, I really, thinking about this, that, that class now, uh, I have a lot. It's probably why I'm so... Uh, uh, I feel so close to that individual, even though we don't talk a whole lot and how much admiration I had for him and how much help he really kind of put to me because mm. he was able, he was an athlete. He yeah. was a star football player. This guy, he ended up making it uh, to, to an NFL team. Oh, wow. Um, not the usual, right? Not some standout like division one, all this. He went to center college, worked through AFL team, did all this stuff. But he, I mean, just that kind of guy, and he was very helpful for me in that situation as well. Um, the class was, and it just talked about alcohol use and alcohol in the family systems, and I can't remember all of it, but it was yeah. very much, uh, I can remember breaking down and crying and talking mm. about all the, the the friends that I had that drank and that, that um, you know, just how that was the norm and how is that okay and you know but this is the system that this is kind of the the environment that i'm in so how do i live with this um and i can remember being disturbed but by it but also not being able to stop not being able to buck the trend of going out with friends that do drink and not drink and or get friends that didn't drink like i didn't even know how that was possible i don't know like how many there? Uh, how many friends I would have had in a Catholic school? <laughs> yeah. If, if I went with all the people that didn't drink, and maybe more than I think, but um, yeah. I was curious if it was a positive experience, and it sounds like it was. Yeah, and at the time I didn't like it, and I yeah, couldn't right. wait for yeah. it to be over. It couldn't wait for me to be able to be out of it. Yeah. Um, but uh, in you know, in recollection, it was very much a positive situation. It was one of those things that, yeah, I don't know how much it helped me stop at the time. Maybe it just gave me a little bit more awareness so that when it was time to, to, to get out of the madness, it was easier. I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So high school and you started wrestling and was that your primary sport? And So it w- I still played football. Um, I wasn't that great. I special teams guy or whatever. But then um, wrestling I was. I was kind of um, – we had a lot of good guys on the team. Uh, I ended up – I just – I wasn't like a, like a phenomenal athlete. I was just a hard worker and uh, and very determined uh, and put a lot of effort into it and worked all the time at it. And I got, I got good. I got to uh, where I ended up getting second in state. Um, uh, the guys that beat me were very, very good guys that – I ended up getting a, a small scholarship to a Division two school, uh, not far from my my family, uh, and so I took that and went on to um, <clears throat> to wrestle. And when I got up there, my use like so here, you know, the norm was to uh, it was still the drink up there. Like you'd think maybe the uh, the discipline level and the competition level would up it. But it was really almost like a drinking team when I first got up there. Like, yeah, uh, where's up there? Where it was in uh, University of Indianapolis. So it was in Indianapolis, and um, it was the guys were uh, 
they they liked wrestling. They like liked working hard, but they also liked drinking. And I kept the competition level kind of got a l- little bit better. Like our team got a little bit better as as I progressed through. Um, some guys kind of some of the people that were uh, more interested in drinking. Uh, they kind of uh, graduated, and the, some guys that were more serious about wrestling kind of came into it. But drinking and using and smoking pot, were, which is surprising. You think you wouldn't smoke pot and want to cut weight, but uh, there was there was a lot of that that went on. Um, that's uh, so my use kind of increased. Um, the other big thing is is so my freshman year in college, I'd come home. I'd cut like 25 pounds in five days. I did it yes. to get to the national duels, uh, to to start at the national duels. It was an open spot due to an injury, um, and wow. so I did this. I kind of put myself through hell. I came out of it. I ended up the next week. Uh, the coach, you know, was mad at me for not cutting the weight again and trying to wrestle off the guy uh, and. I got mad and I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to cut 25 pounds to go wrestle the, the team captain who beats the hell out of me every day. Like, what? The, <laughs> that's and for a tournament that doesn't matter. And I got mad and I went home. Uh, and uh, when I went home, I met up with the guys that I met up with all the time. Uh, they were my, some of my best friends. Hey, there's a party down here. Uh, <clears throat> I, uh, we, started drinking um we went to like a little restaurant spot um we jumped uh, i was driving we jumped in the car uh we were headed down to a college for for a fraternity party um we had a discussion like on the on the highway which way do i go do i go this way uh 264 do i go 64 my buddy in the front seat says 64. Other guys say the other way, but I listened to him in the front seat. Um, my buddy Matt. We continued on. We saw three police cars uh, driving the opposite direction on the interstate on I-64. I got distracted. I had been drinking. Um, and I, well, I can remember us saying, man, they're going after somebody. And when I... As soon as I said that, I looked up in the car in the right-hand lane, lit up, and the inside of it lit up, and I would, and it was enough that like it sh- shouldn't occur. And um, and I'm driving 70, 75 miles an hour, and right around the bend comes a car head-on, um, driving the wrong way on the interstate, and that's what the Holy police shit. were chasing. Um, and head-on collision. He's driving 70 miles an hour. I'm driving 70, 75 miles Holy an hour. Uh, we spin out. I can remember my, looking down on my body. Uh, I could see my body slumped over. I could, I was kind of, there was smoke through the air and I was almost like transitioning with the smoke. Uh, <clears throat> You know, then I came to, we all check each other. Hey, how's everybody doing? How's everybody doing? Everybody okay? Everybody responds except for my buddy in the front seat, Matt. Um, He slumped over. There's fluid coming out of his mouth. Uh, And, you know, my, and immediately there's tons of, 
there's police and EMS and emergency vehicles and firefighters and every everywhere my buddies in the back seat were able to jump out immediately I was trapped in the car I'm you know I'm yelling for my buddy to to wake up to 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 come to there's a one of the paramedics or whoever it was came to the car they they were yelling they were asking me they were talking to me I said leave me alone get my friend get my friend I'm screaming at him to leave me alone my uh one of the paramedics or police came up to the car and checked my friend and he asked the time to somebody and I immediately knew what that meant and I started screaming they covered up my friend with a white sheet wow while I was trapped in the car when they had to cut me out cut the doors off and the whole time I was just staring at a white sheet that used to be my best friend one of my best friends and uh, <clears throat> they cut me out and they uh, they flew me down to to the university hospital I can remember the uh, flight paramedics making jokes about how cold it was and I just could all I could think about was this is the worst day of my life and uh, how can you be making jokes but you know it was a, it was a regular day for them I went down uh, EMS I ended up being fine I ended up being they prepped me for surgery thought for sure that I was having internal bleeding um, but I ended up being fine and I ended up getting released uh, the next day or not in the morning uh, and that was a huge experience to me. I had to go, you know, going and talking with his family, having to go through the funeral. Uh, I can remember in my head just being in shock the, the morning of this happening and just in this just telling myself everybody has to go through this. That was what I had to say to myself to get through it at the time. Mm. Um, you know, going through the funeral was probably it was the hardest thing I'd done to that point in my life. And that was a huge uh, thing to me. That was, after that, I had to, I really adopted a sense of, I already had a sense of guilt and shame that I grew up with and a sense of inadequacy and not being good enough. Um, but this complicated everything. It complicated how I used drugs and alcohol. It complicated how I dealt with people um, I've, was very much, you know, looking back on it, it was very much a point in which I was ready to start making emotional changes, I think, in my life. Uh, but it kind of shut all that down. Um, and my only thing that I had to be good at something, I had to be good at something, I had to use uh, sports to 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 work this out I didn't have anything else and so uh, I don't know that was so there was no consequences from the standpoint of that you were drinking I guess because the other guy was in the uh, plainly in the wrong in the wrong lane they they tested my blood when I went down there I was at point point oh eight um back in those days it was 10 it was, it was legal as point one um and 
I was a minor, so it probably they probably could have uh, done something. I think they chose not to. Wow. Like I think maybe if I was from the wrong side of the tracks, or yeah. it was a little there. bit less. Uh, if I'd had that that um, that blood alcohol and 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 it wasn't so obvious that the other person, the other other guy was right. He was driving Plainly at a point four. Yeah. He had, this was his fourth DUI. Um, he had been in jail before. Did he uh, live? He lived. He got out. He walked away. He thought he hit a parked car. He didn't know. He didn't wow. even know he was on the interstate. I've um, seen a couple times uh, where where somebody has something similar happen, a pretty traumatic thing, and and I don't know if uh, the universe does this or if the system does it of allowing somebody to not, you know, don't arrest you. I've had a buddy, you know, I've had friends that's had uh, really bad car wrecks uh, and not get any trouble for them, you know, right. drunker in hell. Right. And get really hurt, you know, and spend some time in the hospital. And I don't know why it didn't happen, you know, why they were basically allowed to uh, to, 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 to escape any consequences. Uh, sounds like that, that kind of happened with you in the, in one in legal consequences now from a standpoint of an emotional consequence of being the driver of a vehicle that a right. best friend died in right. while you were driving. I just can't imagine how you <laughs> I don't know how you reconcile that. And so legally, I can remember them. Yeah. So they they chose not. I think you know I I was from. It would have been a, a bad decision, I think, uh, from the prosecutor's yeah. point of view, to do that. Um, and but you're right, like absolutely, that that could be a different story. 100. I have another friend that's here local that, uh, and I'd like to get him on here too. Uh, that had to, had a similar kind of thing happen where he had a wreck while he was inebriated, and his best friend died in the car, and I think he spent 11 years in prison. Yeah, or something. I, I know it was quite a few years. Right, that that he went to jail for or went to prison for manslaughter. Yeah, and that that you know, it, if the circumstances were a little bit different, I think I absolutely would have got prosecuted. Um, and I think like there was you kind of look at this stuff. I, I, one of the things that our sponsor has taught me is I have a way different, I have a completely different way of looking at things today. You yeah. know, and I start thinking about how my higher power was on my side all along. Yeah. I, and for me, knowing how much that hurt, um, it's hard for me to reconcile and say, you know, my higher – like, in that situation, I, I all the bad things that could have happened after it um, didn't from my perspective. But it's so hard for me to look at it knowing all the pain that it's caused. Yeah, right, yeah. In particular, his family. And to watch what occurred to that family after the fact and the pain that they've gone through, you know, the parents and the, and, uh, the cousins um, and uh, his sister and, and my best friends yeah. that were his best friends. And to watch that pain, watch the guys that, in my, uh, in, that were in my car with the car with me, one of them still won't drive on the highway. I mean, it's like... Uh, to watch all that pain go around and then to yeah. say, hey, you know. Yeah, I'm by no means am I insinuating there was no consequences. Right. <laughs> there are plenty of consequences. Yeah. And for me, but just to, it's still hard for me to say God was on my side of that. Yes. Yeah, I see what I, you mean. I yeah. got, I got uh, You didn't receive protected. a personal Right, but to watch legal that is, thing. is, is, is uh, that's, it's still hard for me to look at that. It's still hard for me to, 
you know, like I've got together with his parents a few times uh, as an adult and kind of now they can't do it anymore. Um, and that, that hurts. Yeah. That hurts because I love them and I know how much it hurts them. And uh, they can't do it anymore because of the pain. They just don't want to. Yeah. And so, you know, I just recently made an amends to his best friend. And, uh, you know, it was a very good amends, but still to know how much it hurt him. Yeah. Hurts me. Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, at that time for me, there was no reconciliation, you know, like for me, I would sit in a dark room and cry. I try to like push it into wrestling, but my, my success wasn't that great. I'd kind of met another level of, of, uh, you know, peak. I wasn't as good as the guys in college. Um, and so me trying to push that into that, it, it wasn't very effective. You know, I worked very hard, but um, when you're not getting the results that you expect, uh, then you can't, I, I just didn't internalize that as me again, failing my friend. Yeah. You know, I failed him. In my perception, I failed him the night because I didn't protect his life. I didn't kill my friend. That man who was driving the wrong way on the interstate, he killed his friend, yeah. but I failed to protect his life um, because I was drinking. And, you know, if I wasn't, maybe I had enough reaction time to to, to avoid it. Uh, but I failed him. And so then when I went out and competed, I very much was trying to devote some of that to him, and I, and I wasn't winning. And so, again, it felt like a failure. Mm. Um, some of my use increased i my use as far as um using other mm, other uh substances i got into where you know i'd use ecstasy and once i started using ecstasy i was like oh i'm gonna try coke and meth and anything else um so i kind of i got where when i was going out and partying i was doing bad stuff and getting to where um you know, staying up all night using cocaine, uh, you know, using methamphetamines, ecstasy, weed, whatever I could get my hands on. Mm -hmm. Luckily, I still had wrestling and still devoted enough, had enough devotion to it that it, it had some guardrails for me. Like, even though I wasn't as super successful, I had some guardrails. Yeah. And, kept, um, you in the, kept you in the road. And as I started to kind of fail at wrestling or not, not win as much as I would like, um... I found MMA. I found jujitsu and, and uh, fighting and started doing where I was doing. At that time, it wasn't even called MMA. It was called No Holds Barred. Um, but the, uh, you know, I kind of stumbled into this room through a friend. Um, I got fired from a job because I was drunk. Uh, I called in drunk. I didn't even call in. I was like, hey, I can, I can show up today, but I'm still drunk from last night. Um, so I got fired from a place called Rock Bottom. And, <laughs> uh, my, my buddy had said, hey, can you come to this practice with me? I'm scared to go alone. Um, and he, and I, I was like, I'll tell you what, if I'm fired from this job, then then I'll go with you to practice. And they were like, yep, you don't work here anymore. So I was like, sweet, I'm going to practice. <laughs> so um, I went in there and I was kind of, uh, I was good right away. Like my Ability to, to withstand a lot of pain, uh, to keep fighting, my determination, my wrestling background, 
Um, and, you know, it just kind of opened up for me. It, and it, it, I started to have a level of – started to succeed very fast in that. Now, I was at the same time, I was using. I was going out and I was partying and I was on a um, medical red shirt for wrestling uh, because I'd hurt my neck. Uh, and so I was kind of out of the pocket in wrestling and drug testing for the NCAA. So I was kind of whatever, doing whatever I wanted and I was partying. Um, but again, I had those, now I had some other guardrails up. I had some, something to keep me moving in the, in one direction and not to go veer off too far. Um, you know, I started, uh, and that was, that was very much, again, that was just something that was there for me. I wouldn't have kind of accepted any other success but that and that was my way to you know it was a way to channel all that grief and um hurt and pain you know like I was a big tough guy you can't sit around your room and cry and let all your wrestling buddies see that you know you can't you can't go and tell somebody on your wrestling team how you're really feeling about life and what's that you, you're you're crushed because your friend's dead and you feel guilt and shame about it. You can't, uh, you know. In that time, I wasn't, I didn't really have uh, relationships and uh, you know with with girls strong enough uh, that I could communicate that thing, that kind of thing. I just didn't have anybody that I felt I could do that. Uh, another thing that happened at that time is I started to deny my spirituality, partly because it was all tied up to Catholicism and dogma and, you know, the treatment of, uh, you know, the, the concept that I was the bad person. So, like, this judgment. But also my friend died, and I couldn't reconcile that pain uh, with, you know, somebody that cared and loved about me. Um. So all those things kind of moved at one time, you know, a denial of spirituality, a use of, 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 um, of drugs and alcohol, and then, you know, this channeling of all, all of my pain into one, one aspect, and that was fighting. Uh, you know, if you got a lot of pain and you're channeling it all into one direction, um, you, you, might, you, you might be good at it. And I was, I was good at it. Uh, I was very good, you know, all that violence, all that aggression, uh, all that pain kind of channeled at it. And I, and I succeeded at a, at a fast rate and within like, um, I can't remember if it was a full, it was maybe, maybe two years. Uh, one year I was already, you know, I was kind of undefeated in the local circuits. I was traveling around. Um, I again got hurt in wrestling, so I stepped all the way out of it. Um, I went ahead and started fighting full-time, finished up college. Um, I, now I was on my own to do whatever. Um, I really didn't – I didn't get a regular job. I, I just worked odd jobs while I fought. I made a little bit of money fighting. Um, as I moved forward, I, uh, I uh, you know, that, it would, that became it. Drugs, alcohol, and fighting. And that was it. So I was getting ready for a fight. I abstained. I worked my ass off. I trained as hard as I could uh, with as tough of people as I could. And then, you know, then I'd fight. And when I made a pocket full of cash, and then I partied. And I did whatever I wanted to do for the next two weeks, three weeks, whatever I could until that money ran out. And then I, and then the process started again, and I yeah. looked for a new fight, and I went forward. 
Um, I think within two years, um, I was fighting on the UFC. I don't even know if it was a full two years. Uh, it might have been just one, one and a half years. I was on the UFC. I lost that fight, but I picked up a fight in Japan. I started doing well. Um, you know, I ended up fighting in a getting uh, on 2000, uh, 2000 and, God, when was it? 2001. I uh, picked up, a, you know, a fight down in Brazil. It was like a 16-man tournament. I ended up finishing and, and beating four Brazilians in one night. Um, I was like the only other the only other person to finish at, at that time. I don't know if it still holds true, uh, but at that time I was the only the second person to ever finish fi- four fights in one night. The only wow. other person to do that was Hoist Gracie. Dang. Um, so from there, I got moved moved up and picked up by a, a fight company called Pride. It was a kind of bigger bigger company it was a japanese rival of ufc and at the time they paid more and had some tougher fighters bigger events eighty thousand people at the tokyo dome um sell out national tv everything they had was over there so i got into that and uh, you know i'm just this kid from kentucky training with some knuckleheads and we're breaking into high school wrestling rooms up in indiana to to train because we didn't have a gym and didn't you know and i'm now the next thing i know i'm walking out in front of twenty thousand people uh twenty thousand japanese uh ready to fight one of the toughest dudes in the world a world champion in jiu-jitsu and it's very surreal um, i imagine and uh, i can't imagine <laughs> It's almost like uh, living inside a video game for for a little bit of time, and uh, it was it was it was crazy, um, you know. And again, it was the same pattern. It was uh, train, abstain, and then uh, when I won and I got a pocket full of cash, let's party. Yeah. And not just me party. Everybody around me is gonna party. It was We're like celebrate. You know, celebrate. What did you say? What was the first two words you said? Pain, abstain. What did you say? <laughs> train, you, abstain, train, abstain, and celebrate. You're right. Pa- train, abstain, celebrate. And um, so it was, which it would was, make perfect sense. I mean, golly, you know, you do this and you work it that hard, and you've done, you've buckled down so hard to to get to the fight, and then to do and then, and then execute it, win or lose, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you win, especially, yeah, and hell yeah, well, what else would you do but go out and celebrate? And, and it was, you know, was, you go out and you celebrate. Next thing you know, you're at a, you know, you're partying at a bar in Rapungi, Tokyo. And you yeah. just, it's, you know, a, a wild experience. Surreal. Sur- very surreal. And it was very surreal, especially being, you know, 23, 24 years old and just, you know, and, and having this feeling of not being good enough my entire life. And everything that I did was driven and to get rid of that feeling, yeah, and um, and to go from that and have people f- tell you, you you know, you're not going to be a shit. You you're not an athlete. You're not. You're slow. You're not good enough. You're you know, uh, like, what are you going to do when you grow up? Like I I can remember being young and just having that feeling of feeling of people trying to grind me out and just trying to take away who I was and to push me down. And to tell me who I was, and tell me I was a bad kid, and to have that inferiority and that inadequacy from such a young age, and to have all that, and then to come up, and then you know what? Fuck you, fuck you. You see me now? 
fuck you. And that's very much the attitude I developed. And I was not a good winner. <laughs> I was, uh, I had, I was, I put that in people's faces when I came back. Like, fuck you. You know what? I stared you right down just like I would stare down a fighter. This is who I am now. What do you think now? And, uh, validation. Validation. And, uh, of who I was and what I was. And, you know, that wasn't this person that you said I was. Um, and also, again, that was a huge thing for me to deal with my grief. And, like, the belts that I won and the trophies that I won, all that stuff, I would put it at my friend's grave. Mm. And so, I very much wanted world championships. And for my own validation, but I also wanted it to, you know, to somehow prove that he hadn't died for nothing, even though that seems ridiculous at this time. But I was... That was only way that I could that I could show this that I could do this, and uh, and so I won and I was doing these things and I was you know making you know ten twenty thirty thousand dollars in a fight, and it wasn't very long. It wasn't very long at all. Like I had the big tournament, I had a big win on the big show, I had a couple of those, and on the second big win that I had. You know, it was after the fight, went out to Rapungi, went out to the bar area. You know, I have the best fighters in the world surrounding me at this bar and think that I'm a cool guy. I have groupies hanging out at the bar for me. Girls, just because I'm on TV and just because I'm who I am and they, you know, they want to be around me. I have, I'm on Alcohol, weed, cocaine, ecstasy, everything. Um, and I can remember coming out of the bathroom with all, you know, all this the music going, boom, boom, boom. Everything's going off. And I looked around and I thought, this is it. This is everything that I worked for. This is all that I wanted. And I still feel like the same piece of shit that I've always felt like. Yeah. None of this fucking matters. And uh, after that moment, my career took a <laughs> took a nosedive. You know, I was slated as the next guy that was going to be a champion. I was, you know, people were telling me, you're going to be the next, uh, next champion of pride. You're going to be fighting these top guys you're gonna be making all this money and uh after that moment like there was a recognition that like all of my work and everything that i was doing was worthless that it wasn't gonna bring me happiness like this wasn't gonna bring me peace this wasn't gonna change who i was and uh that took a very long time for me to incorporate uh i couldn't quit fighting like i i kept fighting even though like i I kept training, but it, it wasn't the mindset that I had before. The drive was not there anymore like it once was. And uh, the drinking and alcohol, uh, that started to pick up uh, even more. And, um, again, it was always tempered. You know, I would, you know, do the same kind of patterns. 
Um, but I started to fall off. I started not to be able to do, do it um, within maybe like a year. I'd taken a lot of losses. I'd gotten to where I was like 16 and one or some, some nonsense like that or 12 and one or something. I can't remember what I was. And, um, and then after that moment, I started losing. I lost four fights in a row and then I win a couple fights and then lose fights. And, um, I couldn't really sustain any momentum after that. Um, and it took, it took a very long time for me to, to pull back. So that, ha- that happened in 2002 and I really didn't get out of the fight game fully until almost 2009. Well, 2009 was the last fight, but I really didn't get out of it until about 2006 or seven. So there was about a four or five year window when I, when I really struggled. And, uh, do you still get paid if you lose? You get paid if you lose, but it's half the amount of money. Yeah, and then, right, yeah. so you, if so you're on, not, if you're on the best fighting show in the world, you, you get, you know, and you're winning, you're making 30 grand a fight, but then you lose. And then now, guess what? They don't renew your contract. You go down to the lower rings and you're making, maybe, maybe you're making, uh, uh, four grand a fight and you're, oh, you lost it. So you get two grand. So you just spent six weeks to make two grand. Mm. So, um, not, not quite the, and then you'd get one big fight a year or something that kind of kept things going. One of the other things that occurred is, so once I, once this, once this happened and I kind of started to u- increase my use and, uh, my drive to fight one there, I got it, I got a uh, drunk. I drove at a high rate, uh, on, I was driving like a hundred miles an hour on the interstate. I wrecked up, um, I caused like a six car pileup. I ran from the cops, missing a tire, jumping barbed wire fences. Um, and that was another big thing for me. And I did that. And, you know, that was after my friend had died. And, you know, so then it was failing my friend again. It was uh, failing myself, putting everything in jeopardy, putting other people's lives in jeopardy, putting myself in jeopardy, putting my career in jeopardy. Um, and they caught you. They caught me. Yeah. <laughs> and this one, I, I, I suffered some consequences, not a lot, uh, like a week in jail, uh, paid some fines, was lost the car. I uh, know it was uh, out in Utah and, um, it was, uh, so I did have that when that occurred, my my trainer, again, I had a coach that kind of reached his hand out when I was in high school. My trainer, uh, in there was my and who's now my father-in-law. Uh, he was my Muay Thai coach at the time. He saw that I was screwing up my life, and he he saw that I was on a downward spiral. Uh, so he took me to a Buddhist temple, um, and at the temple, the uh, uh, they did the. They did a cleansing ceremony. Uh, my body started to cut, and they twelve monks tied a piece of yarn around my my wrist. They all held it. And they chanted. Um, my body started to sway and move, and I and I and this went on for like forty five minutes, and I couldn't figure out oh, something else was going on. And that kind of opened me up. That opened me up to spirituality, um, to something beyond what I'd experienced before. And through that, so over the next four years, trying to quit fighting quit that identity of who I was before and pick up this new identity. Um, You know, I got into meditation. I got scared of it. 
I quit drinking for nine months, but I couldn't hold it. I started drinking again. I kept, but the whole time I did that, I was reading and studying spirituality till I got to about, and I had my use, it started to kind of trend down. I would, I was using, but I wasn't using like I was before. I wasn't doing quite as much as I had before. It wasn't quite the party that I had before, probably for, for financial reasons. <laughs> yeah. There was still a consistent use, and there was a use of benzodiazepines to relax and on a real consistent basis, mm-hmm. drinking three or four times a week. And um, But all this time, I was studying, reading spiritual material until I got to where I finally made enough money. I was like, all right, I'm going to go to massage school. I'm going to quit fighting. I need something else. This is not working for me. I'm losing. I'm not good enough anymore. I'm not. I can't do this anymore. I had to. And I finally made a jump to do. And of all things, I went to massage school from professional fighting to massage <laughs> yeah. school. Um, and then I met a guy there. He turns out he was an AA. I had no idea. Uh, but he was like uh, and he was into meditation. He got me meditating. Um, he told me, hey, you, you got to be sober to do this. And I didn't quite understand that. So when he said you have to be sober to do this, I thought like. Okay, well, I better I better meditate at four thirty today because I'm going to get drunk at five. Like yeah. I'm going to start drinking, so I better meditate early. But I did that for four years, uh, like that. Things started to get better. My life was still chaotic. I still couldn't really make things work. Um, I did get married. I got married to my trainer's daughter. Um, we moved back to to Louisville. Um, I started, you know, I I started. Uh, Things started to get a little bit better for my life, but I was really struggling. I had gone down to where I was like, I was working in a warehouse for like $9 an hour and I couldn't, I just couldn't make a living and I couldn't do these things. I had a college degree and I was a professional athlete and all these things, but I couldn't make anything work. Did you actually go to massage school? Did you do that? I went to massage school and I did massage and I did it for a while. But then uh, when I came back to Louisville, the economy went to, to, to crap. And so, uh, you know, nobody's, when when you can't afford your house and you're getting foreclosed on, you're yeah, not. Nobody's you're not, doing the extras. <laughs> nobody's doing the extras. Nobody's spending the discretionary income, and so um, I did that. Um, so I kind of got on massage. I was just doing whatever I was could do, um, and then I we started going up. To, I would go to this temple, this Thai temple, with a Buddhist monk, and uh, and I told him I said. And I was going every every week to go meditate with him. I was cutting his grass. I was doing all these things, kind of service work for, for the monk in the temple. He lived by himself, and, you know, I would do what I could. Um, and uh, and I told him one day, I said, man, my meditation's good some days, bad other days. I can't make anything work in my life. And he said, that's because you drink. He said, there's five precepts for <laughs> for Buddhism. And he said, one of them is no alcohol. He said, you're not even living on the basic the basics of, of, of the spirituality that you're, that you want to follow. And, uh, and I knew immediately, like he was like, you'll either quit drinking or you'll quit meditating. And I could look back at this point And now, now we're talking about years of reading spiritual material, four years of meditation, um, daily, twice a day, every day. Um, and to look back and be like, okay, I know alcohol, and alcohol and drugs have never done anything for me. And this is the only thing that has given me some sense of relief in my life was meditation. And I knew immediately when he said that, and I was like, fuck, fuck. Like I had a, 
I had a plan to go get like once a once a year drunk that week. I was gonna get so stupid drunk I peed on myself. Like I was I had um and that was gonna happen on Friday. This was Wednesday and and I was like, damn it. Like I was like, I this is like I have to stop. And I knew like I was like, okay, maybe I can get myself one more drunk. And I knew that if I did that, then that was it. Like that was the choice I made. That was the place I was going. That was they where I was stood at the go. turning point. And um, had to decide which what fork of the road I want to take. And it's interesting. And I did, and so I stopped. And amazingly, I guess because I'd been meditating for that amount of time, and I devoted it, and I made that choice when it was that choice. Um, I was kind of spared that that whole uh, craving. And I was never the point where I drank every day, and I never was at the point where I used drugs every day uh, for the most part. I'd use some benzos every day for a couple of years, but I'd quit those a number of years before that. But So I didn't have like a physical craving for it. It was just like how I dealt with everything else. Um, but I didn't. I didn't really have it. It wasn't super difficult for me. I could understand that. Uh, and looking back, I would, if you had told me I could quit drinking without – caring about it i don't think it would have ever i wouldn't have believed it you know but i really do believe that it was the meditation for that long in that period of time and that quiet and that accessing of of and of of spirituality um that that allowed that that process to happen for me in the way that it did yeah it's getting in touch with that inner self that higher self all that and and getting grounded in that way i can i could see how we were just i was having a conversation last night with robin about different ways that people quit stop their stuff you know their bad behaviors you know yeah and i'm kind of a little bit you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm biased on the 12-step right thing and so it doesn't make any sense to me how somebody can just stop right because i could never do that you know uh, one other thing just real quick because uh, i like the you know i had some i had a little bit I, I came into recovery i hit some bottoms which really i don't even worry bottoms compared to what i hit later uh and what when I when I hit my bottom that I didn't know where to go with when I was breaking those houses and got caught, what the my path back into the rooms was through a meditation group. You know that's where I, I couldn't go to AA. I couldn't go back to meetings. I just couldn't. My pride and ego wouldn't let me do that. But there's a guy having a meditation meeting, and I could go there. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was the gate. Right. That got me back in. And then when I actually ended up getting with the sponsor that we have today and working the steps, I had not, I had six months of meditation practice under my belt. Right. And, and I, that was like the, the value of that uh, it was it was unreal. And like, I don't, I will, this is your deal, but I went like five months of that meditation meeting just going on Saturdays uh-huh. and maybe meditating once in a while if we get together with some guys. I never could really do it by myself. Right. And then on a, like, a, and I remember it's like someplace in the beginning of December, I walked out of that meditation meeting with a bell go off in my head, how good I felt walking out of that meeting. And I thought, and I heard people talking about doing it every day. They did it on their own every day. <laughs> All for five months, I heard people right. talk about that. And it took that and I went, you know, and I made a personal commitment, commitment to myself that night to start meditating every day. Yeah. To get up in the morning and I'm going to meditate in the morning, just like those other people talk about. And, you know, and then my sobriety date was about one month later. That's still <laughs> my current sobriety date. That's awesome. That's uh, the meditation piece for me is invaluable. I would not be able to do anything. And I'm, I will preface this. I am terrible at meditation. Like yeah. I'm not good at all. Like I've literally had meditations where I sat and thought about how I can make a million dollars for half an hour. That's yeah. what, like, it, like I'm not 
good at it. So anybody listening saying, I can't do that. Well, let me like, you just have to sit still and breathe. Like that's all you have to do. And it will take much longer (laughs) if you don't practice uh, some form of it. Uh, But it's still helpful and it's helpful at any level of sobriety. It's helpful at anybody, even if you can't maintain sobriety that, and I couldn't, I couldn't maintain sobriety at the beginning of, of this. I wouldn't have done it uh, because I didn't have enough tools um, to do that. I didn't have an, enough uh, way to cope with who I felt I was or the picture I, I thought I was, the story that I was telling myself of who, who I was and who I've always been. Um, I couldn't deal with that on my own. And, um, and the meditation allowed uh, opening for that. You know, and then allowed me and it also allowed me to be able to hear where my next step was supposed to go. Mm. And, um, I, I believe that started from the day my, my father-in-law took me to the, to the temple to get that cleansing. Like I started to be able to hear what my next step should be. And it, it was very slow at the beginning, but then as I did meditation, it increased my ability to, to hear where my next step was to go. And then when I went to AA, my, and my, well, I got sober, I got better. Then when I went to AA and, uh, my ability to hear what I needed to hear to my next step, just, it just kept doubling and doubling and increasing tenfold. Like as I took these further steps. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was where I started was through the meditation. Um, that started me on my sobriety. Uh, the unfortunate part is like, I was meditating twice a day, not very effectively, but I was meditating. Uh, things were getting better in my material life. My, you know, wife, I was married, you know, we, we had children. I started to started a new career to, to go to back to school as a nurse for nursing. I did all these things and these things got better, but I still was very angry about who I was, who I thought I was, uh, and I was unhappy with myself. And I just, it wasn't going to work in that, in that situation. Just meditating and being sober was not enough for me. Um, and it, it was the break, another breaking point was me and my wife, we would have these terrible fights. And like, she's, a little bit crazy. I'm crazy. You put that in a pot and you mix it together with kids and no money and a lot of stress and shit pops off. And we would have these yelling, screaming fights. And we had always had this dynamic in our relationship. And this is a dynamic that I probably carried from a childhood. She carried from a childhood. We put it in there together. And, um, I can remember we were, we were in a screaming fight. She's my wife's, now she's my trainer's daughter, so she's been trained in Muay Thai for her entire life. So, uh, like when I say she's hitting me, she's not hitting me like a girl's hitting me. She's full on man punching me um, in the face. Uh, I'm picking her up. I'm throwing her on the couch. Uh, it is a full on fight. I'm not striking her, but uh, she's striking me, and I'm and I'm wrestling, and I'm doing it, and we have. Uh, maybe a nine-month-old and an 18-month-old staring at us while we do this. Whoa. And just absolute 
like just the look on their faces was just like, what is this world? Like, what is this? Did these people that love and care about us are doing this to each other? Like, what is this world? And, uh, and I was just like, I'm, I can't do this. I can't do this. Like I'm going to get a divorce. Like I would either go back to using, or I probably could have gone the rest of my life without drugs or alcohol, but I probably would have killed myself. And I don't mean that like in a, in like kind of, uh, half using, like that's not a euphemism or anything like that, or, or a, a, a phrase like I would have fucking killed myself. I used to have a, a running dialogue in the back of my head. I never owned a gun in my life, but this dialogue in the back of my head would say, put a gun in your mouth, put a gun in your mouth, put a gun in your mouth. Mm. You deserve to die. You deserve to be beat to death. Like this literally was voices in my head over and over and over again. And if the track slowed, I had to keep busy all the time. And if I didn't, if I didn't keep busy, then I would hear that track. Put yeah. a gun in your mouth, put a gun in your mouth. Put a gun in your mouth. And uh, I didn't have any answers. And so <laughs> I had been, I don't know, like I had to go for to AA for like a nursing school requirement to one meeting. Yep. Um, we see them. Student nurses are in there <laughs> fairly often. And uh, so I, and I'd been suggested before by somebody. I don't know where it was, but then I went into a meeting I met a guy, I went to the first meeting, I threw it out right away, like, I've been sober for four years, but I need help with my emotional sobriety, I cannot handle it myself anymore. I put out a, a, a calling card right away, one of the guys in there was Mikey from from our uh, our group. Railroad Mikey. And uh, he would, he came in and um, he, he was like, hey man, come to this group, and uh, it was Spiritual Underground, and I'm super thankful because this is exactly where I needed to be. And, uh, it was the group of people that I needed to be around and some sobriety spots are better than others. And, uh, this one fit me perfectly because it was about emotional sobriety. It was about spirituality. It was about, uh, you know, that next level of sobriety, like not just being sober. Cause I don't want to be sober. I don't want to, I was sober by myself and I fucking hated it. I hated who I was and I, and I kept trying to move forward in this material world, but it was still, wasn't producing any, uh, internal change, you know, just like that same guy that was standing in a fucking bar in Tokyo, feeling like a piece of shit with everything in his pocket, cars, girls, cool guy status, money, everything, you know, I was meditating. I was sober. I was trying to progress my life in every other manner and it was working, but it was still, I was still unhappy. And so to come into this group, spiritual underground, and then, you know, I I was able to hear those little pings, you know, something that set me off or I would read something in a spiritual book and it would set me off and set me to a new, new path and be able to hear that. But I would get one of those every six months. I would get maybe one of those, maybe once a year I would get a like, while I was uh, drinking and before I was meditating. And then, then I was meditating and I might hear it maybe once every six months. And then, then, you know, it really, and it got sober, but it was still like, you know, it was still every six months I was getting this kind of like little ping where 
something would change and I would hear where I was supposed to go and I would know that that was the direction I needed to leave. And so I got into spiritual underground and I would hear six pings a fucking night. <laughs> Every week I was coming in there and ping, ping, something was setting off and telling me the way I needed to move. Um, and it took me a long time to do my first set of, to get a sponsor, to do my first sets of, of steps because maybe I wasn't coming from that moment of desperation that right. other people came from. I was sober. I had a career. I had all these, I was money and cars and all that stuff was, the, it was the best part of my life uh, on the financial spot and stability spot. But it was still, you know, what it, it took me a while, a long time to do that. And uh, then over the past year, so I've been now in AA for four years. It took me probably two years to get through my first set of steps. I still never picked up a sponsor. I still didn't do much surface work. Um, but then over the last year, I read. I did. I got worked with Christopher. Um, we worked through the book, the Twelve Steps of Spiritual uh, Recovery. We worked through that book rather uh, rather than going back through the big book. It's all based off the big book. We're still doing the same steps. We're still doing it. It's just it's just an interpretation of the of those steps, and you know a little bit further day uh, dive into what set you up for this uh, this position, like what were those those uh, you know early family experiences, those school experiences, uh, those traumas in your life. All those things that set you up to have this disposition, um, not just you were genetically set up to be yeah. a drunk. Yeah, deeper dive into those causes and conditions that end up. Well, that's why I want to go back and when we do these stories, right. why I want to go back and talk about a little of that rather than just starting out with uh, some later on date or first drink or something like that. Right. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, so that was to go through this, you know, and I kind of got set off. Um, and it's, and it's worked so much. Like once I started doing the steps, like meditation worked for me, it helped me, but I still was, there was a level at which I couldn't pass. Um, because it really meditation, I want, I didn't want it to be about a higher power or God or uh, anything else. I wanted it to be about me. I wanted to be the enlightened one. I wanted to be better than you by showing you that I'm enlightened. Like, look how good I am. I got rid of my ego. I'm great. Yeah. Like what kind of, but it really was like, it was really about me. And, um, so then as I did these 12 steps, I started working through some of my stuff. I started to understand what my blocks were with my higher power. What, that was a big thing for me in this book. And this step work was to figure out what was blocking me from a higher power to begin with. Part of it was the trauma of losing my, uh, of losing my friend. Um, that was the exact time that I stopped going to church and stopped uh, going. Uh, and two was all those concepts of those people that were judging me and telling me I was a bad kid. But then I should follow this God that teaches love and kindness. But you're a bad kid. Yeah, <laughs> You're the bad one. So like, uh, and we're going to judge you. But this is, you know, it was, I couldn't reconcile those two as, uh, yeah, then it's a mixed message thing, man. And then it gets through to us and you go, hold on. Those two things don't add up. You right. can't offer me this and tell me that that does not fly with me. Right. So I will reject your entire premise because of that. Right. And really what I was doing as to look at those God blocks, I was just rejecting you. You rejected me. You judge me. You tell me I'm bad kid. I'm just rejecting you. Yeah. And I'm rejecting, but you're, I'm rejecting what you're standing for too. And, um, 
it wasn't rejecting my higher power, my love and right. kindness, like right. all those things that st- keep kept me safe, that kept me alive when my friend was killed, that kept me out of jail, that that um, um, you know opened my eyes when I was drunk and high, and just gave me a moment to to say this isn't what is gonna lead me out of my life. And so, so many people want to come to me and say, oh man, you used to fight, you fought Anderson Silva, you fought this guy, you were the best, you were one of the best guys in the world and all this stuff. They think my, the time of my life that, uh, that, uh, that my use and th- this former life of mine is super interesting. And I think my recovery is super interesting, uh-huh. you know, because that was the most miserable time of my life. If I look at that, I was so miserable. I was miserable because if you if you just thought this one thing was going to fix your life and you worked your entire life to get there and then you get there and you recognize that it's not it it was so depressing it was so absolutely uh flattening and i was miserable at that point and that's why i increased my use i didn't know what else to do like there was no fucking purpose for me i didn't have a higher power i didn't have a connection to my spirituality there was no purpose in my life. And so I didn't have anything else to do but use and to continue uh, that that old identity. Um, so now when I come out, I think this is the most interesting part of my life. Yeah. This to me is the best part of my life. Like that, like everybody wants to talk to me about that. I'm like, I'd rather talk to you about meditation. I'd rather talk to you about like what's going on in my life now. Uh, let me tell you about that because, you know, I'm a, I'm a nurse. I walk into an eye. I used I worked on the ICUs and, you know, would come in and just help people in the worst periods of their life, right. the worst days of their life, just like the worst day of my life. And I can remember that guy joking uh, and I, I get to I got to be there. I got to walk people through letting their family member go because they weren't going to they weren't they couldn't do it. Um, I got to be there and have people tell, you know, dying people say, I see a glow around you. I see an aura around you. Like to have yeah. people and tell them, I'm going to see you in the next life. Like, um, you know, be there when a mother says goodbye to her 21 year old son. And, and just, and you know, I just experiences that I could not explain, Yeah, you know, to be there for people when they're dying of cancer and all these things and to be there for them in their most vulnerable moments. And disclose stuff about me in my most vulnerable moments, you know. Um, that and, uh, that whole like uh, what's making me think of is the uh, Saint Francis prayer that make me an instrument, you know, so that I can be do this higher power work and be that because that's what that is, man. That's higher calling kind of stuff to be able to hold that space for people when they are in their worst spot, but you can be glowing and you can be there as a as a beacon to allow them to have some power through you to get through things that, that let me comfort the, you know, let me comfort rather than be comforted. Uh, the whole, the whole gist of that prayer is exactly that is stand there and being it. And there's really no, you know, like you said about a purpose, there's nothing bigger, you know, the whole uh, spiritual axiom of helping another person, you know, that's in our 12 step, right? And that's, that's what it says it's help somebody. Yeah. You know, in the way it says carry this message to them, but we are the, everything in the, in the 12 steps, when you have a problem, almost almost every time the solution is uh is is helping somebody else 
You know, it's yeah. if you're having trouble with sex, help somebody. <laughs> if you're having trouble with, uh, if you if you got somebody, some resentment, help somebody. Now, if we got some other tools to pray, ask it to be removed. We do inventory. We, we share with another person. But that bottom line period at the end of every sentence is then help somebody. Yeah. And then you get it all, and then you find yourself in this role that, that, that has a higher power of the universe puts you in where you have this fundamental spot where you get to help these people in a very unique and very, very powerful and very needful uh, way that is just super cool. The, uh, one of the, the things as we talk about like helping people that, that is probably, and I, and I held off and I didn't sponsor people and I didn't do this. And I was very selfish. I'm like, I need to go to school. I need to finish my career. I'm like, I'm doing all this stuff. Like I didn't, you know, I had all, I didn't really finish my steps or whatever. Uh, it was. Me, me, me. Right. I had lots of excuses of why I couldn't do it. And then finally, you know, as I started through these, uh, the second set of doing my, somebody came to me and it, it was somebody that has been in our group for a while. And yeah, he, he, uh, just wanted uh, something a little bit different and, um, you know, he'd already been through it. So it was, but to get the, the, the coolest part for me is when I get to say something that I know it's not me. Yeah. That is not my words. I'm not that smart. Like I'm not that that calm and collected. I'm not that. I'm not that guy. You know. Like I know what my thought process and what runs in my brain all the time. Uh, I've been around that crap for 42 years. I know exactly what this guy says. You know. And to have something come out of me that's not me, um, that is the coolest part because it was always. I thought it was super cool to hear that. That was that ping through life that told me where to go and yeah. to be able to f- listen to it a little bit. But to be able to hear that ping come out of your own mouth and know that you just changed your child's life, changed a friend's life, yep. changed the sponsee's life. Uh, you can watch it come out and know that that's resonating with them because it's not your words. I think that's the coolest part for me. It's really. That is super, yeah, no doubt. I mean, when, and as you start sponsoring people, and I've had uh, – uh, I've been honored to to be able to sponsor quite a few guys in a short amount of time and and have a really good uh, uh, bunch of guys higher power placed in my life that, that are doing the deal, you know, and I hear myself say things. What's really wild is when somebody quotes you. <laughs> yeah, somebody says, well, I heard Dan say, you know, and you're like, man, I didn't really say that. <laughs> That's not really me. It might have come out of this t- tool over here, but it, it, it wasn't really me. And it is. And, and that's when I start knowing, you know, there's a flow, right? And you're talking about them pings, you know, and being able to hear those next steps and see the path. And the path becomes clearer to me. Mm-hmm. And and, and, it, and it sounds a little arrogant when I even say it, you know. But I know that's the truth. And I know when I'm able to help these other people and I see what the changes that happen in their life also, I know that I'm on my path. I like my, my yoga term of that true north alignment Mm -hmm. when my internal compass is in alignment with my true north things just become easy they flow uh i see things almost in an out of body kind of thing you talked about that seeing that uh, i heard that when you were talking about the wreck and Mm -hmm. having that out of body looking at yourself sometimes i get that in this work where i like see me working with another guy and i'm not really in the body for a minute you know, it's, it's an out of body thing. It's, it's, it's some, and it's scary, you know, too. It's, it can create some fear. Uh, but, but to lay in, just lean into it uh-huh. and to be able to do that more and more of that, you know, that's to me, that's really my increased reliance on this higher power 
oh, that's that. That's proof in the pudding there when I'm doing that because it's not really me, man. I am leaning on this higher self, this higher power to be that instrument, that, 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 that funnel to pull what was given to me and, 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 and be able to hand it to somebody else. That's, uh, that's, that's cool stuff. I know, you know, I've never heard you say that, like that you, and that's, I can imagine where that would bring fear. Like, and I know that like, even, um, in my, Mine is like I, I like I'll get deja vu's. I got mm-hmm. a deja vu sitting here talking, and we were talking earlier specifically yeah, about me too. I get um, that too, man. And and when I get that, like I have, I kind of feel like, well, this is this must be where I'm supposed to be going, and I don't really know why that. And you talked about uh, when you get your true north line with that purpose, things just get easier. And I've experienced that to a smaller degree, in the fact that like. My kids get into the school that, that that I need them to get into, so I can be of service to my father-in-law who now has cancer. Like that happened. That right. happened for a reason. Like you know, and are just so because if I'm worried about working and paying for uh, school, then I can't I can't take my time and devote that to my father-in-law who had cancer. Um, you know, things get easier when you go the right way, and I that is like to the diametrically opposed to what we said earlier i can't get right i can't get right and i can remember that feeling my entire life i can't get right i'm banging my head on the wall shit won't work it never works it never works for me i'm fucking cursed like and that was my mindset is shit work like i had people like man you just have a dark cloud over you like shit always falls apart like next like whether i'm collapsing it or not like that was all that was my story that was how that worked. That was what occurred in my life. Everything falls apart on me. And that was that was how I lived. And that is so so opposed to this that now things open up. Things become easy. Because it's not about what I want, how I want it, what I want to make it look like, whatever it is. It's about just doing following the pings. Following that little beep, following that like that noise of how, and, that, and that's all I have to do is just follow that ping, yep. and I'm okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kevin will quote Dawn on things about taking the next stitch. You know, mm-hmm. the tapestry is not my. You know, those stitches are pings to me. That's the same. That's a mm-hmm. parallel way of saying that. You yeah. Know? For me, I look at it as this path. You know, right. I ask. That's one of the things I pray for every day is to help me see the path. Right. Just help me see what direction you want me to go in. Uh, so that I can follow it, because I know it's out there. There's no doubt in my mind that it's there. Right. It's not a matter that I don't have a path. I right. just need to. I just need the light shined on it, and that's where those pings come through. When I know when I'm doing, when I'm taking the next right stitch, when I'm doing the next right thing. Uh, that other thing that popped in me, because Bill's book, you know, the Alcoholics Anonymous book has so many prophetic sayings. They're just really cool. You know that I'm a victim of the delusion that I can rest man, uh, happiness and satisfaction if I just manage oh. well. You know, so when <laughs> things aren't going right for me, I'll just try harder. <laughs> you know, and then and, and there's that has the opposite effect. You know, of that. Right. You know, I just I, and it hurts myself. You know, uh, I want this but I can't have it. Is what I'm telling myself. I want this but I can't have it. I want this and I can't have it. You know, and I start living that, right? It's the opposite of the power of positive thinking. If I'm sitting there telling myself that I want this, but also in the back of my head, I'm saying I can't really have it. I got to work harder, you know, or I got to, mm-hmm. I got to figure out. And I'm, the universe doesn't know what to do when I'm sending that message out. Right. You know, that, that I want this, but I can't have it. Uh, or that, that whole, oh, 
that white knuckle kind of thing. When I relax into the flow, and I think that's where meditation helps. I think mm-hmm. that's where a lot of these other tools where I'll drop these blockages. They're like uh, they're like barbs the wrong direction in my path. And they're just hooking on everything, you know. And when I drop all them, I can fold them back more or less so that they're not just uh, obstructing me any longer. Then I can just sail. And that's what's happened to me in the last four years, or four and a half years of being in recovery. <laughs> the uh, That resting... Uh, satisfaction from the world that is absolutely my you know my go-to is just try harder yeah just work harder you just not doing enough you need to do more and um i didn't realize that like that that try harder and you're not good enough or tied together yeah and for me i used effort as my greatest tool i'll just work hard I'll just work hard. Whatever it is, I, I'll just work as hard as I can. And in and of itself, it's not a bad thing, and, right? I mean, it's a good trait at some level. <laughs> at some level. But also, it's pathologic in my in my case. Right. Because mine, and and you see it a lot of, in a lot of people, not just alcoholics. You see this in people that are workaholics and yep. that have to strive so hard. Everything that I've done, like, you know, it's not good enough. Like, I... Uh, you know, and I have to strive harder and work harder and that rest in, and it goes to that, that statement right there that I'm trying to rest my satisfaction out of this, out of this world. And it's, it's, it takes time because I'm still in that process. Like the other day, I'm, my hospital's, <laughs> the hospital that I work out is potentially closing. Um, mm. and, uh, for me, so I'm like, I got to start wheeling and dealing i gotta start figuring things out i gotta take away this easy like this easier job and i gotta go back to the icu to get my stuff up and do this and do this and do this and then i realized i'm two years down the road still resting that you know and i'm still gonna be working and then i gotta plan this and do this for a year and do that for a year and then i'm two years down i'm still two years away from this situation now like trying to rest it and i said you know what i can't do that i gotta pull my hands up I gotta, I gotta ghost ride the, <laughs> ghost ride the car right now. I gotta ghost ride it, and lift, lift my hands up and just see what happens. Like, if we shut down, we shut down, and if you know, and let that next step be that next step. Yep. Yeah, it's another one of the things, and I haven't used it in a while. But a guy had told me once is uh, on my higher powers, like being on a tandem bicycle, <laughs> and and uh, he'll let me steer, but my job is really to pedal. <laughs> And let him let that let the steering to be to somebody else, right. you know. But I still have the pedal, you know. I still have some horsepower I need to help provide to get where I'm going. Uh, but I gotta I gotta turn loose the wheel uh, and, and release my grip on that because every time I have my I have a grip on something, I mostly strangle it. <laughs> yeah, I, I I absolutely understand that feeling, and and but it is new. It is new. I've watched some of you guys like. Uh, like you and Shane and other guys be able to kind of work this program at a, at a higher level and to, um, and to have those rewards and to have that mentality to lift your hands up. Um, and, and I'm just at the infancy of it, right? Like, yeah. cause I'm still, I'm still in school. I'm still, I'm 42. I'm still, still trying to 
get to that next level, get to that next. Now, thing. You know, uh, you were around, and, and you know, we, we, you know, those three people you just mentioned, me, you, and Shane, you know, all have the same teacher too, and are working these steps in that that uh, you said in that certain interpretation. I like that. Yeah. Uh, what I look at it is, is, to me, it's an optimized level of working these steps. It's a, it's an. I don't say it's the, right. but it's an, an, it is a, an optimized version of working these steps and putting these tools in our lives. And you're just on the tail end of it just recently. Yeah. So like, you know, to me, like it's just now you're, uh, you're, the airlines landing gear are just starting to pull <laughs> off the ground. <laughs> That's where you're at because of coming off of that, that step work with, in that, in that particular fashion. Yeah. And I like the, the, and to the to your statement there the and this is an addition to this this program or you know for those that aren't in aa uh, this is this is an opt uh, an opportunity to do that and i did i did i didn't get as much as i wanted out of the first set of uh, and part of that is how i worked them and how i did them and it wasn't anybody's fault you know mm -hmm. uh, but i just didn't work them as well as i could have or do all the things that i could so to come through and to have the especially i mean this is the last year i've like basically like <laughs> picked my hands up off of graduate school too after i started this uh this program with christopher because things stopped being as important <laughs> yeah. to me and this work became more important to me yeah and uh, so i've been happy to go through this and th this is like i said other people think that that part of my life's interesting. I think this part's interesting. Yeah, you know, uh, I will. I will mention too the the humility that you have is uh, has impressed me big time on that prior life, and and then what you said there just uh, like put some uh, some real uh, um, some real concrete foundation under the feelings that I was having on like because uh, and this may be not exactly true, but here's me. Okay, if I was an old MMA fighter and I had that background i would be in there telling people to google me go look go see do this look up this fight look go watch me you know and i've never ever now i've heard you mention casually and over time about this past life i never for whatever reason there was something in me that never made me uh, i never doubted it but i also never felt the need to go like validate to see if you were telling the truth or any of that either i never did look yeah uh i just accepted it at face value that's another uh really a recovery miracle to sit in a room and listen to people and just accept what they tell me right. rather than do the old bullshit where I would want to analyze and, <laughs> and, 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 and debunk you. And that guy's full of shit or <laughs> all that. It really is a recovery miracle, but you were always so humble about that. And in recent past, some friends of ours have started sharing some links and stuff. And so I've actually in just the recent few months have popped on and saw some of that old footage and stuff and and the anderson silva thing and and, a, and another fight that just blew me away that i watched where you from all appearances you were getting your ass kicked <laughs> and at the end you won yeah and was that I the joe like, riggs fight oh, man i don't know it's always a it looked like it was russian all their thing was subtitled russian and the actual i think even the youtube title of it is written it in might russian, be finnish i have a fought over in finland okay yeah so. it's got some language you can't i can't read you know i can hear the <laughs> announcers the announcers are speaking in english but the actual video I'll, itself is the title of the video is in another language and yeah and that's it, just probably because you can't you can't like ufc if and they'll take away stuff that's there because they own the rights to so much stuff so they'll take yeah. the they'll take away like rights and so you can't control the russians or whoever else they don't put anything on youtube you know, yeah so. right yeah so that was uh and I just, I'm just inspired by that humility because I would like think like that I would have to validate myself. 
right. you know, and prove to you all that I was really telling the truth. And you've never done that. You've always just been so humble about it. And just a so matter of fact, because that's not really the story you're telling. What you're telling today when I hear you share in meetings and when I talk to you on a personal level is exactly what you just said. What's going on today? This recovery path, this cool stuff that's happening now, these uh, these miracles and these bells that go off that where we hear things of, uh, of what's what the cool stuff that's happening today. I think uh, part of that, one, is the genuine that it's that it's better today than it had ever been. Two, it was uh, an, uh, the worst point of my life. Uh, th- you know, the really the only positive that came out of that situation was I'm not a person that can believe through you telling me that that's not going to make me happy. Like I have to see it and live it. And so I was op- the opportunity from my higher power was, look, here you go. This is it. It's not going to make you happy. So I had to be shown. Here's everything. Here's everything. Are you happy? You're not. Okay, well, let's go a different direction. Yeah, very cool. um, Insight to that, no doubt. So for me, that was was the biggest thing. And I'm thankful for that opportunity. That's really the only positive that came out of that situation. One, I met my wife and my father-in-law, and that that pain led me to spirituality. Um, But really, that's it. It it wasn't going to make you happy, and I'm going to put the people in your life. Like, I would not leave. I had offers to go everywhere in the world train at every camp in the world almost to go to Holland to go to to go to Seattle to go to LA all these people that at that time were saying hey we'll open the doors you can come and join our team we're we're one of the best teams in the world and I wouldn't leave because I needed to be around my father-in-law because of who I thought he was and what I believed of him and you know and he helped show me by taking me to that cleansing helped change my life. So, I mean, again, that was one of those things that those, the right people in my life were put in that place. You also said in there like, oh, you, I would have to validate myself. But living that experience didn't bring me any validity. You know, it didn't validate any any part of my experience. So to, to, to reference that, it's just a reference um, the pain. Yeah, for that's me. really interesting to me. And that's it's not. Uh, it's nothing else. Yeah, and, that, that, and I didn't really understand that. It's one of the things. Well, one of my, I guess one of my points here is that today's conversation helped me actually understand that better, because my so I looked at it and I just really couldn't. I couldn't. It did not compute <laughs> of why a guy wouldn't talk more about what was going on then. Uh, you know, sometimes a little bit like a, you know, I say what I thought was the darkest part of my life. Actually, ended up being the best thing ever. Yeah, it's still dark. Right. Getting in all that trouble and looking at a, a huge, big potential prison sentence and and all that uh, was 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 awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it catapulted me into what I have today. And right. Without that moment, uh, I don't know that I would be where I'm at now. Another thing I heard you say a minute ago too was that ability to correct your course and to be able to say, "Oh yeah, nope, that's not the way." You know, I like one of my favorite things to say or have heard is, uh, and I will say that most anything I've picked up is, I did not make any of this up. I've heard it and stole it from somebody else, picked it up and used it from them. Is that uh, a lot of times I don't know what my higher power's will is for me. I don't necessarily know what it is, but almost always I know what it is not. <laughs> <laughs> I've absolutely had that feeling like, I don't know the way to go, but I just know wh- that's not the way. Over there is not the way. I'm not going to go that direction because that, and, and again, that was the that was the direction when I stopped drinking and the monk told me you have to stay because I just knew I couldn't go to that direction. I'd already been there. I'd already done it. And yeah. I'd already checked it all out. And there was nothing on that end. 
and uh, now it was time to go a different direction. Like, it's a yeah, fascinating story, man. It really is. I appreciate it. One thing that I just wanted to add to this was for me, even coming into the program, having been sober for four years, it took a long time for me to even accept that I was an alcoholic. Even though I'd, if you look at this carnage and all this stuff and you bring it down into a, into an hour conversation and you say, hey, look at all this, that look how bad your life was before. I couldn't, still couldn't see that. Even four years removed from alcohol. I didn't drink every day. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I, I might've drunk the most I've ever probably drunk in a row was five days in a row. That was in my entire life. Like I always had something that I was working towards. And I think for people like, uh, people that have the same mentality as me is that I'm not this because I can, I can still have a job. I can still be a career. I can still be successful. I can still do these things. Like, I didn't have some crazy bottom, you know, of my life. You know, I had these terrible things and traumas occur, but it wasn't, it's still at the same time. I don't know what, what I'm just trying to say is I want to reach those people that are wavering or thinking that this is something. All those guys out there that almost got there, almost got there. Because for every world champion, there's a thousand guys like me that almost got there. Yeah. And I can't let go of it. And, um. That's that's who I want to reach towards is is those people that think that think that there has to be some gutter drunk to be an alcoholic or you have to do something specific to be an addict. Um, this is just if you're using doesn't work and you want something that does work. Yeah. And, or maybe even you know and so to go with Christopher stuff. Maybe you're not even using. Right. You know, chemicals, but we're right. all using something for some relief, right? Success. We're all using something. Achievement. Whether it's a workaholic, you know, I will validate myself by working my ass off, you know, and, and provide for my kids. They don't right. ever get to see me. Right. But I'm out there slaving away and then, and just all the other various things that we can do to, to receive this validation when, like you, what you said, when you finally turn loose of it and realize that this, uh, it's the old thing of this inside job. It's just, it's coming to grips with me and finding me. No. Yeah, that's where the happiness resides. It doesn't reside out there in any of that other stuff. Right. And you certainly can't appreciate it until I can be okay here. Right. Like, I like having stuff, right? <laughs> I mean, we like things. I, 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 I like uh, I, I like sex. I like food. I like... But, you know, all of it is dampened in, by not having... Not liking me. Once I can be okay and be comfortable with me and be comfortable in my own skin, because that's another way of looking at all that old stuff we were talking about, that not feeling good enough, feeling wrong, feeling like the bad boy, yeah. all that is also uh, uh, can be wrapped up in the umbrella of not being comfortable in our own skins. Yeah. Uh, until I can get comfortable in being me, I can't really appreciate anything else. I can't appreciate you. I can't love you until I can do that with me. I can't love my children until I can be okay with me. As long as I feel that there's some kind of stink I'm carrying around, I don't get to have this other uh, this other side of things. Yeah, well, it's it's been. Uh, I just I appreciate this opportunity and I hope this goes out to some people that uh, need to hear it. Well, you've done a fantastic job because, uh, like a lot of times, I have to like pull 
not pull, but direct more. Today, I'd really felt very comfortable, and your story just flowed. And like sometimes I'm like, we got started on the early stuff, and then we got to the middle stuff, and then we got to the end stuff. And you talked about the miracles without me having. So you said, I want to say, hold on, tell me a few things. But you kicked, the, you you shared those freely, just as a just as a course of telling your story. So you were very, uh, I don't know, did you do a lot of public kind of stuff under the fighting? Well, I mean, you talk and you interview and stuff like that, but not like extensive, not really yeah. like where you're showing this. Because like, you're very comfortable feeling more so than uh, some people. A lot of people are very, uh, you know, some people come walking in here and they got no microphone experience, no kind of any of that, yeah. you know, and they come in very conscientious of the microphone and it takes a minute to warm up and, and you didn't have that. You just kind of naturally come in here and sit down and did the deal. I usually ask people for a concluder at the end of the show and say, hey, man, we got any final words? And you just did it without me saying anything. <laughs> well, <that's, laughs> and, <laughs> so one thing is, is like, uh, I'd like probably a little bit, like I, I've been interviewed and had whatever, like little specials to do or whatever. But at the same time, like I'm an alcoholic. I like talking about yeah. me, right? You yeah. know, so this is, this like, this, for me, this, this microphone doesn't even exist. I'm looking at you. We're talking yeah. about this. So yes, yeah. and that's the same way I get too. Now I had a little of the microphone thing for a while, mm -hmm. you know, just knowing and being conscious of it. Of course, I've been doing. I think this, this is well. This will be. Uh, this will be the, I guess the thirtieth interview one I've done. Oh wow! And then there's another half dozen or so other ones that were roundtable, multiple, multiple people, things like that. But yeah, I think today is the thirtieth. I started them with a one hundred. And this is 130, so it's actually probably actually 31 if you counted them. But I think that. But anyway, so now I'm getting pretty comfortable, and I, yeah, and I like I doing it. But I watch the other people not necessarily do that. So, man, I am uh, totally uh, what my hands moment. No, no, no. I'm t like the, the Ricky Bobby thing, where there's like I don't know what to do with my hands. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't know what to do with them. Uh, Doesn't kind of come come across on a, yeah, on a no, podcast. I want to get the video <laughs> element, but I just got to figure out how to attach that and how to do it, and like the editing and stuff. And yeah. be a, you know, we did one which just I could just set a camera up there on the two of us and do that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a little distant. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd like to have like a camera on you, a camera on me, a camera on <laughs> us, and somebody pushing buttons, switching the camera angle <laughs> according to who's speaking. Right. That's what uh, my old buddy Joe Rogan has on his oh, uh, yeah. podcast. And, and, you and you know, I, I, I met Joe Rogan several times. Have you? In yeah. the fighting world. Back in the fight game, yeah. Yeah, because so. that's what... Uh, yeah, because that's he, probably he's my inspiration for doing this more above than anybody else's. Joe Rogan, I just yeah. watched him. And one time I was completely obliterated, but he would come up and talk because he would be at the fights that I was at, and like I think the maybe the fights you were talking about where I was getting hammered, that was like kind of like a they were, people would he was always watching. He'd come up and talk to me about the fights afterwards. He, like, I don't know. He had some. <laughs> he's a he's a crazy dude too. He's and he's. Uh, he does a lot of MMA shows too. Right, on right. His podcast. Some of them are just totally dedicated to MMA, and uh, and I and I watch those with the same interest usually as I uh, do the ones when he's just got normal guests. He it kind of blows me away that like he's been so successful just being himself. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like, Absolutely. Uh, that I don't think this is uh manufactured like he's he really he loves jujitsu he loved jujitsu before jujitsu was cool you know and he just did that kind of stuff and it's it kind of blows me away that you can be that successful <laughs> just yeah that's that you. i think that's that getting aligned in that true north alignment right. thing where he's in he, he right. came easy to him or natural to him or whatever to, to to get in line with his his uh his his true self and and then ended up 
yeah. um, giving him this just massively <laughs> cool career to do yeah. all these cool things. Right. So cool, man. I really appreciate you being here. I appreciate uh, I've you been looking me. forward to it and uh, I'll do the little sign off here. Uh, once again, 12 step spiritual recovery. Those are that optimized 12 steps process. Uh, Alex and I were talking about and it's in book form and you can do it. Uh, all you have to do is get your hands on that book and, uh, and, and, and hell, we'll help you do it too. So it's 12 step spiritual recovery by James Christopher Cohn at Amazon, uh, dtmww.net for my woodworking and handyman business. Uh, music is by Darren Frank, go to spiritualunderground.org for show notes and pictures of the guests and, uh, my contact me page through this deal. Uh, hell, there's Instagram, there's YouTube, there's all kinds of spiritual underground podcasts blowing up. So uh, check it out. Uh, thank you all for allowing me to participate in my recovery in this manner today. Peace out. You say you're searching for your true love. But you keep looking right past me I don't quite know how to take that I guess you don't like what you see So I work hard to change my outsides All the while I'm dying within Holding back the pain is sometimes tough When will love be enough? I want to hold you Let dreams unfold with you But there's nothing I can do Until love is enough When will love be enough? Tell me, boy, live in the real world Gotta set your sights on someone else You can't make anybody love you You gotta learn to love yourself My heart says hold on to your dream son My head says find somebody new Living in the middle Sure feels rough when we'll love be enough. I want to hold you, let dreams unfold with you, but there's nothing I can do until. Love is enough When will love be enough I want to hold you 
But there's nothing I can do Until love is young